When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. As we become more and more experienced as a community playing with botanical method aquariums, our techniques and our approaches have evolved. And we've gotten much better and more sophisticated about developing best practices and ideas and procedures and classifications. When it comes to the materials themselves, we have more to choose from than ever before. There's all sorts of different types of materials with different applications for use in aquariums. And I think that if we had to break them down into very specific usage categories, it would be a bit challenging, but it is sort of doable. In the grand scheme of things, virtually any botanical material which you place in the aquarium will have some impact on the environmental conditions of the aquarium. We've talked about that for years, right? Now, in terms of classifying botanicals for use in the aquarium, I kind of break them down into three broad classes based on how long they last while submerged and what their best use would be in the aquarium. And the three categories I use are ephemeral, permanent, and transitional. They sound like big words and kind of interesting, but so let's go over them in a little more detail. Well, some materials are quite durable and last a long time, perhaps indefinitely when submerged. I classify them as permanent. However, some materials like leaves are more ephemeral in nature in that they break down and ultimately decompose more quickly than others. Other materials like bark sort of walk the line between permanent and ephemeral and I classify them as transitional materials. And of course, even within these broad classifications, there's likely variations. For example, some leaves such as oak last an incredibly long time without fully decomposing, whereas others such as katapa break down rather quickly. Now, some hobbyists have commented that as their leaves and botanicals break down, that the physical aquascape that they created as initially presented changes significantly over time. Whether they know it or not, this is a total side thing here, but whether they know it or not, they're grasping the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi as proffered by the late Takashi Amano. Well, sort of. A philosophy which asserts that one must appreciate the beauty of life at various phases to appreciate it to find little vignettes, little moments of fleeting beauty that need not be permanent to enjoy. These categories can be useful, of course, and I think there's something that we need to think about in the broader context of what we do. I plan on making much more use of these categories when we launch our new website in the next few months. I know I've talked about this forever and you're wondering where is all the selection of botanicals? You don't have much on the site anymore. And Don't worry, what we're doing is we're selling some stuff down. We're accumulating some different materials, things that we haven't had before and some old favorites as well uh, to launch sort of an entirely new approach to tannin and that's coming soon. So just be patient. We appreciate it. Anyway, that little side advertisement aside, let's talk more about this. Um, again, having this classification will facilitate a better understanding about how to employ various materials and to create a better way to communicate and even prompt discussions with our fellow hobbyists about how and when we use them. And this is sort of important to think about. And why, you might ask? Well, 
When we consider which botanical materials we intend to use in our tanks, we should give some thought as to what our purpose for including each one is. For example, if you're like me and you're really trying to foster an ecology within the aquarium, you should include a healthy portion of more ephemeral materials. These will break down faster and create fuel for the colonization and the proliferation of microorganisms and fungi in the aquarium. The more durable permanent materials will also foster fungal growth and biofilms on their surfaces, but are much slower to break down and less likely to impart significant amounts of compounds like tannins, humic substances, etc. into the water. If you'll notice, I didn't mention anything about tint capability within these classifications because A, that's an aesthetic attribute, B, it's generally becomes pretty obvious the longer you work with stuff, which materials do tend to impart color-producing tannins into the water, and C, it's not really entirely relevant to our main goal of cultivating an ecology within the aquarium. Obviously, to many hobbyists, the tinting capability of various botanicals is important, and if you ask us, we can, and always have, make recommendations about which materials will influence or provide influence watercolor or provide these superficial effects most readily and easily. And as we've touched on briefly, some botanical materials are better suited at physically and structurally enhancing the aquarium environment and eliciting and complementing various behaviors among our fishes. For example, larger hollowed out materials like Struculiopods, Carineotopods, and monkey pots are more useful as hiding spaces, territories, and spawning locations for fishes like Epistogramma and other dwarf cichlids. While they will provide surface area for colonization of bacterial biofilms, fungal growth, and epiphytic algae, their primary strength in the botanical method aquarium is to serve as one of the aforementioned physical structural roles. Other materials like twigs and roots, what we would classify as transitional materials in my context, are perfect for creating a more complex benthic environment within the aquarium, being perfect to layer with leaves and other more ephemeral materials on the bottom. They'll soften and break down over much longer periods of time than, say, leaves, but will provide a variety of benefits during their useful life while they're submerged. The utility of botanicals is literally as diverse and comprehensive as the number of botanicals that there are in existence. One of the most amazing things about our practice of adding leaves and twigs and seed pods and other stuff to our aquariums, whether you collect them yourself in Houston, Hamburg, or Hong Kong, or purchase them from a supplier like Tannen, is that most can be relied on to perform in a fairly predictable manner once they're submerged in our aquariums. The same natural processes which affect the decomposition of an alder cone from Europe impact the Struculiopod from Southeast Asia, the oak twig from North America, the jackfruit leaf from Malaysia, or the banana stem from Thailand. Colonization by biofilms, fungal growths, and the resulting decomposition which occurs are the same all over the planet. And they're the same processes which govern what happen in our aquariums. Think about that for just a second. Let me just rephrase it one more time. The same processes of nature which impact the leaves when they fall into the water in the Amazon occur in your home in suburban Los Angeles, Paris, or Tokyo for that matter. Nature doesn't care. Now sure, there are subtle chemical, mineral, and other physical variations in the tap water in different parts of the world, which, if I'm being intellectually honest, could make some difference, but the ecological processes which decompose leaves are the same everywhere on the planet. It actually makes sense. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. When viewed as a whole, the macro view of a botanical method aquarium is that it challenges us to look at the big picture, to not get too caught up in any one aspect of creating or managing our aquarium, and to appreciate all the processes by which nature does its work. 
and to make a mental shift to understand that everything we see in the aquarium is exactly what nature intends. I think we're starting to see a new emergence of a more holistic approach to aquarium keeping, a realization that we've done amazing things so far, keeping fishes and plants in a glass or acrylic box with applied technique and superior husbandry, but that there's tons of room to experiment and push the boundaries even further by understanding and applying our knowledge of what happens in the real natural environment. You're making mental shifts, accepting these processes and attempting to replicate the function of natural aquatic habitats in our aquarium by achieving a greater understanding of nature in general. Okay, well, as usual, I drifted into philosophical mode here. That happens a lot, doesn't it? So yeah, it's all well and good. But of course, people ask me all the time, which seed pods and leaves are acceptable for aquarium use besides just the ones that you guys offer for sale? Well, the answer, you're gonna hate me for this, but I, I simply can't tell you. Besides, should we assume that all botanical materials impart the same substances into the water? I mean, damn, who could possibly know that for certain? And better to do your homework and homework might involve research or experimenting if collecting the damn stuff's the easy part shouldn't figuring out what the hell it is that they do be at least a tiny bit of a challenge yeah i think so i suppose it all starts with proper identification of what you're collecting and then understanding what your intent is when using botanical materials in your aquarium in the first place again for me it's about fostering an ecology and that ecology includes bacteria various other microorganisms and perhaps our most important friends the fungi Yep, you heard me, the fungi. We're going to talk about them again. Fungi, as we probably know by now, because we've talked about them for years, reproduce by releasing tiny spores that then germinate on new and hospitable surfaces, which, you know, i.e. pretty much anywhere they damn well please. These aquatic fungi are involved in the decay of wood and leafy material. And of course, when you submerge terrestrial materials in water, growth of fungi tend to arise. Anyone who's ever cured a piece of aquatic wood of almost any type for your aquarium can attest to this. It's an absolutely pervasive in nature, along with bacterial biofilms, an indispensable benefit to the higher aquatic organisms which reside in these aquatic habitats. Fungi tend to colonize wood and, by extension, botanical materials because they offer them a lot of surface area to thrive and live out their life cycle. And they offer cellulose, hemocellulose, and lignin, the major components of wood and botanical materials. These things are degraded by fungi, which possess enzymes that can digest these materials. Now, fungi are regarded by biologists to be the dominant organisms associated with decaying leaves and streams, so this gives you some idea as to why we see them in our aquariums, right? And of course, fishes and invertebrates, which live amongst and feed directly upon the fungi and the decomposing leaves and botanicals, contribute to the breakdown of these materials as well. Aquatic fungi can break down the leaf matrix and make the energy within them available to feeding animals in these habitats. It's super important. These bacteria and fungi are all participants in a rather grand process of nutrient utilization, both in nature and, yes, in our aquariums. And it all starts with adding botanicals and leaves to our systems. This is absolutely analogous to what happens in nature. When leaves enter tropical streams and other bodies of water, fungal colonization causes leaves to increase nitrogen content because of the fungal biomass, and the leaf maceration or breakup of the leaves begins. This is thought by aquatic ecologists to also be evidence of microbial colonization. There are many different stages in this process, starting with leaching of materials from the, the cells of the botanicals during the initial submersion, in which soluble compounds are liberated in the process, all the way up to a, a release of phosphorus, which accompanies this, leasing, uh, this leaching. And of course, this process ultimately leads to the complete physical breakdown and or fragmentation of leaves and botanicals into smaller pieces, which possess larger amounts of surface area for microbial attachment. 
Now, extensive ecological studies done by scientists specifically in regard to leaf litter have yielded a lot of information about this process. The fungi that we know as aquatic hyphomycites, we've talked about those guys before, produce enzymes which cause this leaf maceration and in as little as two to three weeks as much as 15% of the decomposing leaf biomass in many aquatic habitats is processed by fungi according to one study that I found. That's pretty impressive. That's fast. In fact, in experiments carried out by aquatic ecologists in tropical forests in Venezuela, decomposition rates uh, with fungi you know, doing most of the work were really fast with 50% of leaf mass loss in streams occurring in less than 10 days. That's really, really fast. It shows you the strength of these organisms. The ultimate result of this process is the transformation of what ecologists call coarse particulate organic matter, or CPOM, into fine particulate matter, which for it, FPOM, which may constitute an important food source for other organisms that we call deposit feeders, which are aquatic animals that feed on small pieces of organic matter that have drifted down through the water and settled on the substrate. And of course, for filter feeders, animals that feed by straining suspended organic matter and small food particles from the water, as well as worms, planaria, and the usual complement of aquatic insects. And of course, these organisms and their processes create not only the basis of a food web, but the development of an entire community of codependent organisms which work together to process nutrients and support life forms along the chain. When we encourage, rather than remove these organisms when they pair by, you know, siphoning them out or scraping them off, we're helping perpetuate these processes. I can't stress how important it is to let these various organisms multiply in your aquarium. And as I've mentioned numerous times here, we need to think about our relationship with detritus, decomposing botanical materials, and sediments in our tanks once again. Yes, I'm asking you to not only leave them be, but to encourage their accumulation, to foster the development and the prosperity of the organisms which work them. Now, again, I have to at least ask the rather long question. Are these things, you know, detritus, decomposing materials, really problematic for a well-managed aquarium? Or do they constitute an essential component of a closed aquatic ecosystem, one which can actually provide some benefits, i.e. supplemental nutrition, for the resident fishes and the community of life forms which support them? Well, I think we all know the answer to that, or at least I think I know the answer to that. Most of us have already made a mental shift which accepts the transient subtle beauty of decomposing botanical materials, tinted water, biofilms, and all that stuff. So it goes without saying that taking it a little further and allowing these mineral, uh, these materials to completely break down to serve as the substrate for our aquatic ecodiversity is simply the next iteration in the management of botanical method aquariums. So yeah, there is a lot to consider when utilizing botanical materials in your aquarium. It's far, far beyond the idea of just selecting some stuff, dumping and praying that unfortunately been the model for how to use them in our aquariums for many years. It's more than just aesthetics alone. The functional aesthetic mindset facilitating ecological processes while accepting the look and the appearance of various life forms which occur when terrestrial materials break down in our tanks is a fundamental shift in thinking. By studying and encouraging the growth of this diversity of organisms and creating a multifaceted microcosm of life in our tanks, I believe that we are contributing to an exciting progression of the art and science of aquarium keeping. Okay, wow, I just went from talking about a general classification system for botanical materials to the whole damn treatise on the botanical method approach once again. Well, it shows you how well these things are linked together. And yes, there's a whole lot to unpack, drawing from a variety of scientific fields like biology, chemistry, and ecology, as well as from our everyday practices as aquarists. And that's what's so cool about this. And because 
Somebody will inevitably ask me about tannins in relationship to our botanicals. The answer is we still don't know which, exactly which tannins are imparted to the water by a specific botanical. And for that matter, we still don't know which tannins provide what specific effects on fishes or their aquatic environment and what concentrations are found in their natural habitats. It simply hasn't been studied to the best of my knowledge. So when we make these assertions about I'm adding a lot of tannins to our water, we don't know. Are we testing them? We have some general tannin test kits, but what do they tell us? What do the tests mean? How do we interpret them? That's all still evolving, still very exciting. And again, it's not necessarily that we're creating a new thing. We're simply seeing a correlation to the processes that we're fostering in our aquariums and what occurs in nature and realizing that we can embrace, study, and benefit from them in our aquariums. That's a kind of a new thing. I think that there's so many different things that we can play with and so many nuances that we can investigate and manipulate in our aquariums to influence fish health and spawning behavior, like changing botanical concentrations during various times of the year, recreating ephemeral aquatic systems and other unique environmentally themed displays, all that kind of stuff's out there for the, for the taking, for the doing. Yes, once again, a, a discussion about some esoteric features or attributes of botanicals ends up with me waxing philosophical about the ecology of the botanical method aquarium. But it's such an important thing, developing an understanding about how something seemingly as inconsequential as which botanicals we choose to employ in our aquarium can actually influence such a wide range of factors. If I ask one thing from, from you, as I always have, it's to stay open to new ideas, experiences, and interpretations. Look to nature as a key influence in your aquarium designs and your selection of botanical materials. Share your revelations, your thoughts, and your experiences with other hobbyists. Enjoy the benefits of these experiences. Stay enthralled, stay creative, stay open-minded, stay intrigued, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tent and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.